Good morning, local church Dawson. I am so, so excited to be back with y'all this morning. If we have not met, um, my name is Raymond Frank, and I am the facilities director um, for local church. So I'm over both our building in Forsyth and um, this location here at Dawson. Super excited to see the renovations we got going on in the near future. It's going to be awesome. Um, and a lot of my job... It's a lot of project management. It's about being the front person for the events that come through, um, having the right phone number to call um, when problems come up or things need to be fixed. Um, I am not a very handy person at all. Um, I don't claim to be. Um, I don't think I ever will be. Um, I try my best, though, and that's what matters. Um, and so I do have a lot of the time the right number to call, but lots of times... Um, sometimes um, I will try to handle things myself. I'll try to be more hands-on and like jump into a project and be like, all right, I can knock this out. Like we'll get it checked off the list. It's going to be awesome. Um, and sometimes that is a mistake. Um, so this one particular time I want to tell you all about this morning happened maybe a few weeks ago, about a month ago actually. And in this particular instance, was working on this wall over at the Forsyth location. It was our parent resource wall. So we had lots of baskets mounted to the wall for like parent resources. There were shelves, there were some fun things mounted to the wall. And so I was taking these things off the wall in order to just mud and sand and paint, make this fresh, new, clean looking wall. And I'm taking everything off the wall, and I take these shelves off the wall, and left in the wall, there are these little, like, wall anchors. Screw goes right in there, holds up whatever you're putting in there. And I'm going about removing these wall anchors. So for me, just don't have a lot of experience doing some of these hand-on things. And so afterwards, I was told the right way to get these wall anchors out was to just screw something in there just a little bit and just pull them right on out. Super easy, super smooth. Um, I was doing it a different way. I took um, a putty knife like this one, took a little um, thing like this, and I was pushing in each of the sides to make sure they just get pinched in, and then I would just wiggle it right on out of the wall. And didn't know any better, was just like, hey, it's working, look at me go, like we're getting through this, this is gonna be awesome, we'll knock this off and checking off the list, this is the next thing. And I don't know how I found myself in this situation, it just kinda happened, it just was unsupervised, which was probably a mistake. Um, but I find myself closer, than the wall, closer to the wall than I need to be, and I am working upwards on this wall anchor. Y'all can connect the dots and kind of see what's, what's going on. And eventually I'm working on it and I'm pushing on it and I'm pushing on it and it, the wall anchor just gives way. And I end up hitting myself right in the nose with a putty knife just like this one. It was metal. And it didn't necessarily hurt when I hit myself in the face. But it took me a second to realize, like, hey, the thing that you were just holding and you just hit yourself with is really sharp. 
Um, and soon enough, I look down and in my hand, I'm like, yep, that is my blood. That's not good. And so um, just to show y'all how good I am in a crisis, um, I'm bleeding and I start to fast walk to the under end of the church to go to the bathroom. And reality is there is a bathroom 20 feet behind me. <laughs> um, and so I am fast walking and fast walking, like trying not to drip. And then I, it's like, hey, not my blood on the floor. It was the only blood of Christ is in this church. All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking to the bathroom. And my only thought that I have, I'm like, Raymond, please, please, please tell me you did not cut off a piece of your nose, please. Um, And so I get to the bathroom and I look in the mirror. I'm like, thank goodness everything is there. Like there's a cut for sure. Looks a little deep. I just clean it up. I'm holding a paper towel to my nose and I go in to the student room where uh, our student pastor Jaime is and he's just playing guitar hero like not knowing what's going on outside and I'm like hey dude can you just take me to urgent care and he's like why and I was like I don't want to talk about it and uh, (laughs) I told him what happened he laughed at me the whole way there Uh, my family's given me a lot of grief Um, my dad could not stop laughing when I told him um, he's called it the great spackling debacle, which is hilarious because I just I have I wasn't even spackling the wall at that point, so that's just great. And some medical glue later, uh, my nose was all back in one piece and fine and minimal scarring, and we love that. Um, and so, got a lot of grief from my coworkers and my friends about what happened. Um, which y'all, if y'all want to make fun of me a little bit in the lobby too, I totally get it. I deserve it. Um, and so uh, what made me feel a little bit better is I was talking to one of my guys um, who's on the facilities team for me at Forsyth, and he's a lot more experienced and a lot more handy. And he was just like laughing, chuckling to himself. And he tells me, he's like, Raymond, you know, you had sort of the right tool just for the wrong reasons. And I was just like, I don't even think I had the right tool. But um, that made me feel a little bit better. And that's what I want to really talk about this morning is using the right tool for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And when I think of these tools that we have as Christians, specifically this morning, I want to talk about the tool of prayer tool of prayer. Prayer is a tool that we use in order to deepen our relationship with God, and we use to just converse and talk with our Heavenly Father. And so where I want us to settle on in today is we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and a little bit Matthew chapter 7. So while you're flipping there, if you have your Bible, if you have the Bible app on your phone, while you're getting there, just a little background for you on the book of Matthew. The um, book of Matthew is written around 55 to 65 A.D. by the apostle of the same name, um, the apostle Matthew. The fun thing about Matthew is that he was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. And the interesting thing about tax collectors during the time is they were expected to be able to write in this form of like shorthand, where Matthew should have had the ability, he had the ability to record someone's words as they were speaking word for word, which makes this a really cool read for us Christians because not only are Matthew's words inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but reflect in an exact transcript of Jesus's words and Jesus's sermons. So that detail is super cool. Um, And I think this book is awesome. Not only does it give us a great illustration of the story of Jesus, but there's a lots of awesome practical applications about the core teachings of Christianity, about um, specifically in our case, prayer. 
I'm excited. Um, the part of Matthew 6 that you guys might be familiar with is the Lord's Prayer. Of course, whether you've learned it as a kid or if you have it memorized, uh, most of you do, um, something maybe we are familiar with. But that's not what I want to focus on today. Actually, I want to focus on the little passage right before that. So Jesus speaking here gives us some great examples of the right and the wrong way to pray and the right kinds of prayer. And I think there's some really practical things for us that we can take into and help our own prayer lives that give us a great foundation. So let's get right into things. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. It says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. So diving right into this text this morning, right off the bat, right away here, Jesus says, hey, this is what you don't do. Here's how to not pray. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Seen by people. Jesus is giving an example of right here of the wrong way to do things. It is an example of what we just talked about. Just like me, they are using the right tool for the wrong reasons and motivations. You see, back in Jesus's time, Jews in Jesus's time, there was two ways that they could possibly pray hypocritically in two places. One was in the synagogue at the public time of prayer. They'd pray in front of people there and also on the street during appointed times of prayer. And prayer wasn't normally practiced on the street corners. They would just happen to locate themselves at the most public point during these appointed times. So you get stuck on the street corner during this busy time, during this appointed time of prayer. It's like, oh, great, now I have an opportunity to just conveniently just impress all the people around me while I pray. They can hear me and think I'm awesome and that I'm just so holy and spiritual and it's going to be great. And Jesus is taking a look at this and he's saying that is the wrong motivation for prayer. That these hypocrites are praying to impress others rather than genuinely pouring out their hearts to God. That they are mouthing words towards God while really trying to impress people around them. And Jesus is condemning this motivation. He says, hey, don't do that. Don't pray like that. Instead, pray like this. In verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, Jesus isn't condemning public prayer. Instead, he is laying out this image for us, this image of prayer that is reflected by a close, personal time with our Heavenly Father. That you're going into your room, you're closing yourself. He tells his disciples this so that there is no one around them for them to impress. 
There's nothing around them to be distracted by. That there is no one to direct their words to except towards God. That Jesus has given us the right, wrong motivation and the right motivation to pray. And I think he gives us a lot of insight here on how we should be praying. And so what I want to share with you all this morning is these three points of how we can pray that I think I heard them a few years ago in college and we did a Bible study on prayer and it was awesome and I want to share those with you this morning because I believe this gives us such a good foundation for us in terms of bettering our prayer lives. So here we go. Is these three things super simple for you guys? It is keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. And we're going to break down each of those this morning. So I want to head right into keeping it simple. See, right here in verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. You see, I love the word that he used here, the word babble. It's like when I think of babble, I think of like a baby and the way they like do their little baby babble. And it's like, you know, they're trying to say something, but they literally just can't have the words to actually reflect what they're saying. And we can't understand it. And I love the word babble here. It comes from the word batologio. It's the Greek word batologio, um, which really translates into like this proverbial like stammer. That the word here is, in a sense, is just like blah, 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 blah. That's babbling in this context. And so these hypocrites, when they're praying, he says they're using these just these long repetitions, all these words that it is just going on and on and on in this way that they're praying. And that's the thing, I think, um, in my experience when I've talked to people about prayer and some small groups I've been in and some people I've met, and a lot of times people are really reluctant if they, if they feel like that just to pray in either public or pray in front of people or even just struggle with prayer in general. Even if it's just in their own thoughts, their thoughts get mixed up in their head, but they're very worried about the words that they need to say or how things are going to sound. That they're worried that their prayer doesn't sound like eloquent enough or is cohesive enough. Um, and I think sometimes we can get very overwhelmed or overcomplicate things when it comes to our prayers. And so um, a few months ago, um, I picked up a new hobby. Um, I started playing golf um, about three or four months ago. Uh, it started, so this past spring, I got the opportunity um, to go to the Masters. Um, it was awesome. I had never really followed golf or anything like that before, and so it was a good opportunity. I got to go with my girlfriend and her family, and it was just super fun, and it was so cool to just see these guys who play golf day in and day out who are just complete professionals, and for them to just do what they do on the golf course is nuts. And while I was watching these guys, I had this thought in my head and in my like ignorance and in my arrogance, I just had this thought. I was like, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. That's come on. Like we can do this. And so when I picked up golf, I was like, Hey, this looks fun. I think I can do this. I pick up golf. And as I'm learning things, I realized going into this, I had made a huge mistake. 
that I was just completely underestimating like what kind of mechanics and like thoughts go into just the golf swing in general. Like you're not just swinging a club. Like you are just, it's, it's so, so much. Like I think about you get out on the course and I'm there and I'm in front of my ball and I'm ready to make a shot. And it's like, I've already have to start thinking. Like, I've got to, do I need my barometer out to, like, test the weather conditions right now? Like, I need to know, like, the grass is, like, a little longer. So, like, do I got to club up, club down? Like, the lie of, like, where the ball is right now. And I'm like, okay, now I'm finally, like, ready to stand over my ball. And I got to figure out, okay, my feet are shoulder width apart. Like, I'm squared to the ball. My head is down. Like, I've got a slight bend in my knees. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, oh, but is the ball in the right position? Like, in between my feet, has it got to be a little bit forward in my stance? Got a little bit backward in my stance? Do I even have the right club right now? Um, so now we're finally, like, holding the golf club. And now we are uh, now talking about my hands. So now um, I've got, you know, a little, do I got to choke up on the club? Do I got to choke down? Like, where is it in my hand? Like, do I have a strong grip? Do I have a weak grip? What am I doing? Like, okay, am I even holding it too tight? Because early on I held it too tight and got blisters on my hands. My dad said, hey, don't do that. And so then um, I'm here and I'm in my swing and I'm finally, okay, can I start my back swing now? Okay, make sure you're taking it straight back, that your club face is square to where your target is, that your feet are where your target is. And I'm back finally and I'm in my hinging my wrists in the right place. And I'm like, okay, when I start my downswing, it's like I got to fire my hips and then I got to just release my hands. It's a lot, people. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so much to think about. Too much to think about. And it's just like, how on earth am I ever going to hit a good shot if I'm thinking about all those things? Like, I could be thinking about all those things and have everything right, and I still chunk the ball, and it only goes like 20 yards. So um, it's just crazy. It's crazy, and you can get so overwhelmed. We can overcomplicate things so much. But in a sense, in the essence of what we're trying to do is so simple. I am just trying to make contact with this club with this ball. Sometimes it's that simple as I was just trying to hit this ball with this club. It's like, how often do we that way pray? We overcomplicate things about, okay, what do I have to say? Like, what do I have to do? But reality is Jesus tells us we don't need these overcomplicated prayers. In fact, I say he advocates for very simple, powerful prayers. He gives us a very simple prayer. In the next few verses, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. He says, therefore, you should pray like this, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is simple, but it is so, so powerful. That literally the Lord's Prayer in its original language is just 31 words. That's it. In English, it takes about 30 seconds to recite. Y'all, it fits in a tweet. Like, you don't miss out on the character limit there with the Lord's Prayer. It's so simple, yet so powerful. Y'all, that God's presence is available to us any place, any time, through Jesus. And God invites us to just pray simply and directly to him. That we can ask him questions. We can tell him what's on our minds. We can tell him about our day. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be simple. Not only does God, Jesus invite us to keep it simple, he invites us to keep them real. To keep it real. Right here in verse 8, he says, Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Y'all, when we pray, we don't pray to tell God things that he didn't know before we told him. 
He already knows. We pray to talk to and be in relationship with and appeal to a God that wants us and desires us to bring every need before him. That prayer is not designed to inform God of our situation. You see, we, Jesus invites us to keep things real. So y'all, we live in a world where fake things are very, very commonplace. You know, whether that's fake emails or scam emails filling our inboxes, whether that's text messages, whatever it is, whether that's people who have like hacked Facebook and you're getting weird messages and links from your friends um, that's not actually your friend, or even just in terms of social media in general, it's like people put the best version of themselves out there for the world to see. Forget about what there is going on in their lives, what, whatever they're feeling. They put this highlight reel out to show the world that there is a lot of fake things going on in our world right now. Uh, a couple, few weeks ago, I got a text message. Um, and so I got a text message from the U.S. Postal Service, and I was expecting a package, and they were saying, hey, like, we couldn't deliver your package. Um, we'd like you to just um, have a come re-deliver. And I was like, all right. And it's like, okay, well, re-delivering is going to cost a little bit of money. So without thinking, I'm on this U.S. Postal website. And I enter my debit card information, and it cursed me. I'm like, wait a second. I look back in my text message, and it's like, the text that I've gotten from the U.S. Postal Service before, it's not coming from the same number. And now that I think about it, the website URL this U.S. Postal Service is not the right URL. And sure enough, I'm really embarrassing myself this morning, I hit myself in the face, and I fell for a fake U.S. Postal Service scam after I've entered my information in there. And so frantically get my card canceled and everything be, is, becomes okay. But in that moment, I just did not distinguish from what was fake and what was real. Mistake on my part, however... Um, bad it was, but the thing is, and I say that to y'all in terms of keeping our prayers real, because you can't fake it with God. You don't need to fake it with God. Nothing is hidden from him. That he sees into the deepest parts of our brains, he knows our hearts, he knows the depths of our souls, he knows what's fake and what's real. That when we go to him in prayer, y'all, like, we all have doubts. We all have doubts. We all have questions. We have struggles. We have needs and desires. And God wants us to be real about those things when we talk to him. Like, we can open up about our deepest struggles, our deepest fears, and even our big questions. You know, he's not going to be surprised by anything we can mention to him in that conversation. See, Jesus gives us this model of prayer that is marked by a close relationship with God. And this relationship has honesty and reverence and submission, and there's just this trust and dependence on him. And our relationship with God is reflected by a lot of the personal relationships we have in our lives, whether that's our, our marriage or our really close friendships. The ones that work out, the strongest ones have that honesty have that trust and have that dependence and support on each other. 
And then in his interest in us, when we come to him in prayer, his interest in us, when we're real with him in our prayers, is like the attention that we get from like a close friend. That God wants us to draw near to him and him to us so that he can help us, he can support us. But it's not enough that we keep things simple and we keep things real. This next one, if we can do the first two, but if we don't do this third one, it, it ends up meaning nothing that we not only, Jesus not only invites us to keep things simple and to keep things real, we also need to keep it up. Keep it up day in, day out, minute by minute, hour by hour, whatever it is, that just after this chapter, just after Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, Jesus expands on this idea. That he says this in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This passage, this idea of asking and it will be given to you, seeking and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Jesus reiterates this in Luke chapter 11. And in that passage, he includes this story of this man who um, is asking his neighbor for bread. And at night, he's knocking on his door and the neighbor just does not want to get up and deal with this right now. His kids are asleep. Things are put away. He doesn't want to give his neighbor bread. Bread, but this guy just keeps knocking persistently and just keeps asking, keeps knocking, keeps asking. So finally, the guy ends up giving him the bread he needs. And the words that he uses there that he continued to ask with shameless boldness. Shameless boldness he continued to ask. I don't know about you, but if like I'm at home and I really don't feel like answering at the door, it's like you're hoping kind of someone knocks the first time and you just hope after you don't answer, they will, you know, get on their way. But the thing is, it's like this guy, he's, he's knocking in. Can you imagine someone knocking on your door and it's just, Like, soon enough, someone is, you're just going to get up and go answer the door to get them to stop knocking. Because they're knocking, which is the shameless boldness. They're continuing to knock. As I was talking through that illustration with Brian this past week, he was literally in this conference room at the church, and he was knocking, and he just kept doing it. And soon enough, someone from another office came in and wanted to know what was happening, because it just kept happening. And so this idea that we're praying with this shameless boldness, this praying continuously, praying over and over again. I think about maybe you've prayed for something for a long time, that you prayed for something or someone over and over and over again. And then in your life, you finally see this sort of breakthrough. You finally see this little miracle or see this answered prayer. And the thing is, it's, that doesn't happen because we've magically finally cracked the code of how to pray for this thing. 
We didn't just figure it out. Praying, continually keeping it up is a lot like stacking dominoes. Continuing to stack them up, finally, when the things get answered, all those dominoes fall and something happens. It's not because we cracked the code. It's because we kept it up. Maybe you have this parents in here, like examples with your kids, or if you have smaller kids, they'll come and ask you for something, and you're just kind of like, okay, great. Um, And then like weeks later, they'll just completely forget that they asked about that thing. But the thing is, when they come and they ask you about something and then keep asking you, that's how you really know it's important to them. That they keep asking for it. It's keep being on their mind. In the same way, we pray with this shameless boldness, continually praying for things. And the best way that we can to learn about keeping it up, the best way to do that, to learn that and have that in our lives is to find consistent, quiet time with God. Developing the discipline of a daily quiet time. That we allocate time, little time each day to just get alone with Jesus. And you know, I'm not telling you that coming from a person saying, hey, you have to do this. You have to do this. Come on, like Christians, like we have to do this. I'm coming to you right now as a person who struggles with a lot of aspects of self-discipline. Like, going to the gym consistently, really bad about that. Not eating, like, a pound of queso dip when I'm out at a Mexican restaurant, knowing that it's not good for me, I'm not good at that either. I don't go to bed before midnight as often as I need to be. And don't even get me started on, like, flossing, because that's just a losing battle in general, and I could definitely floss more for sure. And even just coming to maintaining my own time of prayer and my own quiet time. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's something we have to do. We have to work at it. Because the truth is you can't grow in prayer without some measure of self-discipline. Without some effort or some discomfort, some self-discipline or self-denial. It's just like we can't get physically fit and physically well without a diet and consistent exercise. The same thing applies to our lives in prayer. That all these things, all these ideas that we need in prayer to keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. All those things. And the thing is, guys, listen, as we talk about prayer this morning, as we start to close things up, you know, God knows, guys, God knows the amount of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows everything. And the thing is, he knows us. And he knows it's not going to be easy to string a coherent sentence together when we're in his presence all the time. You know, he knows that sometimes we get tongue-tied. You know, sometimes we get overwhelmed. Sometimes we get distracted. You know, he doesn't get discouraged or insecure about our doubts and our questions. You know, he sees our struggles, our bruises, our heartache, our pain. And he sees and he accepts that sometimes we feel like prayer doesn't work or prayer isn't helping. But the thing is, guys, he loves us. 
He loves us a lot. And God wants to spend time with us far more than we could ever want to spend time with him. And whenever we approach God in prayer, next time my challenge for you guys as y'all go away, like to later today, tonight, tomorrow, this week, as you guys start to head into your time of prayer, go and do whatever you do to just get closer to God. Whenever you approach God in prayer, I just want you guys to think about the fact that he's just waiting for us. He's waiting for you, just with a smile. That he's excited. He's not bored He's excited to hear from you. He wants to spend time with you like a father wants to spend time with his kids. So I want you all to picture that and put some of these things into practice next time you go to pray. I want you to pay attention to what it does to deepen in your relationship with Christ. That we keep it simple, that we keep it real, and we keep it up and we do not stop. We pray continually. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for just everyone here today, God. God, I pray that they just got to experience you in real and powerful ways this morning. God, that as we talk about pray, as we talk about connecting and talking with you, God, that these people would go away and when they start to pray, they approach you in prayer, God, they would approach you like they're approaching their father. God, that no matter where we're at in our faith, God, no matter how we pray, no matter how we spend time with you, God, I pray that you make it known to everyone in this room now, God, that the power of prayer is in nothing that we could do. The power of prayer is not in our words, God, but the power of prayer is in the one who is listening. God, we love you. We praise you, and it's in your heavenly and holy name that we pray. Amen.